What is up, coaches? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Go check them out at teamattackacademy.com. If you enjoy the podcast, the blog, or just love the play, show your support and get your Run the Power t-shirt right now with free shipping at runthepower.com. On this episode of Run the Power, we talk football with Coach Ryan Mullaney. Coach Moles is currently the run game coordinator at Denver Lutheran High School. He played defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, Kansas City Chiefs, and L.A. Rams, in addition to stints in the CFL and USFL. Before his NFL career, Coach Moles was a linebacker at UNLV and the University of Colorado. He has been head coach at Denver South High School, defense coordinator at Evergreen High School, defense coordinator at Cole College, and defensive line coach at Colorado State School of Mines. He has also been a successful business leader in the telecom industry, and currently he is the CEO of Team Attack Academy, LLC, an online athlete and coach development company. In this episode of RTP, we talk about Coach Moles' varied background in the game, Team Attack Academy and the advantages it creates for programs and players, and the development of your coaching art, leadership, and assistant coach or player management. Without further ado, Coach Mullaney. Coach Mullaney, welcome to Run the Power Podcast, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Couldn't be better. Thanks for having me on, Rowdy. Hey, uh, just curious. Uh, you know, you've got a very interesting background uh, from NFL, multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, you've coached at many levels of football, uh, running your own athletic development company. Uh, what are some of the things that you've taken away from those experiences uh, to make you the coach that you are today? Oh, man, all my mistakes, Rowdy, you know. I mean, the best the best coaches are the ones who make the mistakes and learn from them, learn how to fix them, and don't ever do them again, you know. Without my mistakes, I don't think I'd still be – I'd be on this call at all. Uh, the humbling nature of this sport, uh, losing games, uh, so that one day you can have a, a, a team that's an ass kicker, you know. All those kinds of things are so important. But as far as, you know, t- my takeaway on the sport itself is that this, the sport of football, having been involved with it um, at, from the high school level on, beginning in 1971, I've been doing this, for, this thing for a long time, and I just get concerned about the kids, I get concerned about uh, the coaches, and I get concerned about the sport. And... Uh, that's what motivates me the most is protecting and loving the game that I've been involved with for so long. And that's what keeps me going. Uh, you said you kind of, you learned from some of your mistakes um, coming from a younger coach. Is, is that something that you, um, is that something you had to learn, I guess, to learn from, or uh, is that something that you did even as, as a young coach? Um, I it really ranges from 40 years ago to last week, Rowdy. You know, um, you know, you you have things like I coached a very, very uh, a, a program that had a lot of athletes, you know, and we were constantly pressing uh, for the state championship every year I was there. And then my last year there, the cupboard went empty. And I realized just how good a coach I was because I didn't have the athletes anymore. And we took – we took it on the chin. It was the toughest year ever. And I realized that, you know, to be a good coach, you've got to be able to not just throw a football in the field and have your players play it. And it was humbling to lose all those games that last year after, you know, being in the newspapers all the time. It was one of the best programs in the state, being ranked number one twice in the state, you know, and then dropping to the point where we, we drop our first four games and we end up with a losing record at the end of the year. Those kinds of things humble you. And they force you to learn things. And uh, that's just an example of one thing that I, that I went through. You know, I got cut six times in the NFL. Who does that? You know, uh, 
how many players get cut. And, you know, it wasn't getting cut because I was making too much money you know, like they do today. We're going to let you go because we can't afford your $20 million. All we can afford is $17 million, you know. Uh, you know, I got cut because they said, look, you know, we don't want you to play here anymore. Those were all humbling experiences. And I learned – I got to – I, you know, one of the – you look at the benefits. I got to play for four NFL teams, four different systems, four different head coaches, four different uh, coaching staffs in the NFL. All of those things are experiences that I w- that I have that, you know, my brother who played 13 years in the NFL, he didn't have those experiences. He said, you learned a lot more about this game than I did just by having to be exposed to all those things. And they ultimately paid off uh, dividends for me when, you know, at that particular time in my life, I, I didn't see a shining uh, light at the end of the tunnel. So those things all happen to all of us and they're very, very important. And we have to be able to walk through them. We have to be able to address them. We have to be able to overcome them, and we have to get back on track and find a new way to do it. And, and the, the game demands that you learn more uh, because that's, that's just the way it is. So I've been in the learning business for 40 years, and uh, I, still learn. I still learn from you guys. I love getting on these calls. I love getting on you know, some of our team attack calls. I you know, I love watching people coach. I like listening to how they're coaching. I like to go to campuses and study and see what other people are doing. And I always find things where, you know, oh, that's how you do it. And I think that's what that's what builds a great coach, to be honest with you, Rowdy. Now, I might have taken longer than other people, but that's all right. I'm, I'm still doing it, right? That's right. Hey, um, you mentioned you got cut six different times. Um, and then uh, now you can look back at it and it's a, it's a benefit and you see how much you've grown from that, um, from that time of being cut six times. But take us through a little bit. How does your mind react once while you're in the middle of it? Maybe you've gotten cut your fourth time. How, how do you react to that? There's got to be, I would think, uh, quite a bit of self-doubt, especially after three, four, you know, the fifth time even. Um, how is that something you push through while you're, while you're in the moment? Well, Rowdy, probably the most painful uh, time I got cut was the third time I got cut from the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I led the team, the defensive line in tackles and sacks, and I played a quarter of the time. The offensive linemen were Ron Yeri and Steve Riley. They were both uh, all pro players. Uh, Ron Yeri being all pro every year, I went against him every single down in practice, which my brother often says, I couldn't have done what you did, did going against him. For two hours, you know, back then it was all contact, full contact stuff. And, you know, uh, Ron Yeri came to my defense when I got cut, and he, you know, he walked up to me and he said, hey, you're the second best off defensive lineman on this team, and they just cut you. I just want you to know. That didn't – that he thought he was helping me, you know, but it actually hurt worse. I got out to my car walking out of the stadium. When I was walking out of the stadium, Bud Grant, who was the head coach then, you know, says, hey, Ryan, come on in. I want to talk to you. And, I, you know, I gave him – I gave him some bad words that begin with F and Y. And, <laughs> and I uh, left the stadium and I drove drove as far as I could drove, which was about – drive, which was about three blocks. And, I, and I'm not a guy who's cried more than three times in my life. And one was at my father's death. But I broke into tears, and uh, it was raining hard, and I finally got myself together, and I drove onto the freeway to drive home, and I had God bless me with a moron who I cut off. I, did, I, I did, was, didn't see him pulling onto the freeway, and he was in a van, and he decided he wanted to fight me. And that was like, I, I honestly believe it was divine intervention because I beat the hell out of that guy and I felt pretty good driving home. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so, but, you know. He, he, I hope I, that guy, I hope that guy's listening. <laughs> I don't know. I threw him. It was raining so hard. I threw him down the side of the, the hill next to the freeway and there's like a trench down there with a bunch of water and he went face down in and he might have drowned. Um, I think, but. You know, the, the deal is, is that you look at those things and, they, you know, the, the fire really kind of molds the man. And uh, I wasn't going to quit. You know, I drove as I was driving that car. The only thing that ever came into my mind back in those days was um, a mild form of revenge, which said, you know, 
the, the words that begin with F and Y, I'm going to get this done. Um, and I, I ended up getting something done having finished my career, not knowing that I did. I felt like I had, you know, that I'd never really got it done. But it was a tremendous experience for me. I'm glad I did it. I see a lot of guys get cut once and they can't handle it and they just give up and they're done. That's not something who I am or who I've ever been. You know, uh, you know that we're working with this team, with Team Attack Academy, which is something that I founded to help coaches. I did that because um, I, I put my, I'm putting my lifeblood into it because I have a mission that's behind the reason why I did it. And we've run into some bumps along the road, which you usually do when you start a business. And we've had some bumps, and you guys know what those bumps are. And uh, you just keep going. And, uh, you know, getting cut six times, you know, having a, you know, having a, a sign-up issue on a website is pretty mild compared to being, having your livelihood taken from you six times. So, you know, it built resiliency for me. Uh, it helped me find out who I am because I had been pretty successful and I was very cocky in college and I got up there and things were a little bit rougher and I had to deal with adversity for the first time in my life, really. And it was really tough to fight through it. But everything else, I remember when I took my job at IBM when I was done playing football and I went to work my first day and I was sitting at a desk and I was a, you know, a national sales account manager for IBM. And I thought to myself, they're paying me to do this. And there were people in the office complaining about, geez, I just, these days are so long. I don't know if I'm going to make it to five o'clock. And I just look at him like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, you know? So I think that's what the sport does. And I've had a lot of great experiences from it and it helps me keep going. You know, and I think that's what this sport does for everybody. If you really look at it. Moles, coach walls, man, we've, uh, we've known each other quite a while. You know, you, you gave me my first job and I, I always love hearing all your, your stories. Even if you, you hear them a, a second or a third time, there's always a, a different wrinkle to them. So. I think that's the first time I heard about the uh, the dude face down, though. That's uh, that's a good I never, one. I never told you that. That's... No, uh, no, that's that's a classic one. But I was just going to say, you know, early in my career, and obviously, you know, you were you were kind of in the in the middle of yours. You talked a lot about, you know, the emphasis on your, your art of coaching, leadership, and management. I, th- those three things have stuck with me since that year in two thousand four when you when you hired me. And, and you talked a lot about how you had learned that in business. You know, you, you'd been in some multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, can you explain a little bit more of that strategy, you know, uh, how, you, how you learned it, how you cultivate it? Because I'm telling you right now, it's the most important thing I've learned. And, uh, and I've, I've continued to try to mold myself with those words. Well, you know, uh, I've seen some of the most unlikely people get through to athletes when they coach them. But you can watch them, and the kids are responding. And they're responding, and they're not only responding because they want to respond because, like, they might get in trouble or something. They're responding because they feel the purpose in their soul for what they're doing because that coach can speak to their soul and not to their brain. And uh, that's, that's something that I think is unique to all great coaches is the ability to have your message – you know, they use the word resonate, which is a weak word to describe it, but resonate with a player and, uh, and, and get them to do things that they normally wouldn't do. I mean, we play a sport that gets more violent as you grow in the sport. You know, freshman football is a little bit different than varsity football in high school. And, you know, you get that scholarship and you think, man, I got exactly what I want. And the first day you, you go to practice in, in college, you go, why did I want this? You know? And, you know, to get through those things, you learn to fight harder. And you have to have a purpose behind everything you tell an athlete. And that purpose has to be crystal clear to them. uh, So that when you ask them to do something difficult, they know it's worthwhile. And that goes way beyond football intelligence. Uh, I see too many coaches. The football intelligence part of this game is very important. But you know as well as I do that if you're not motivated to win, I see teams that lose, their, their players are perfectly willing to not do their job and they're perfectly willing to lose. And they don't learn how to 
they don't learn how to have a purpose-driven moment in their lives. And coaches can give that to them, and that's the art of coaching. And I learned that communication is one of the most important pieces of, of being able to coach. You have to be able to communicate, and through, through your style of communication, it has to be effective, and that is the art that gets kids doing the things that they know. You know, you teach them on a blackboard, or you walk them through something, whatever, and you look at a big kid or something, a big and strong kid, and he's just barely hitting people, and you're going, Dude, you got to hit somebody. Oh, no kidding, coach. Thanks for the advice. You know, I got a very valuable lesson from my son, Merritt, who I was coaching when he was in 10th grade. He was 13 and 0 as a pitcher. Nobody could hit him. And uh, he had a game where he went out on the mound and he couldn't find this. He couldn't find the strike zone. He walked four guys in a row, walked a run in. And I, I yelled out to the mound, Merritt, throw strikes. And he throws, he throws a tantrum, and he goes, hey, everybody. And he's yelling up at the bleachers, and it's full. And he says, hey, everybody, my dad, the brilliant coach, told me to throw strikes. He thinks I'm out here trying to throw balls. He, he's such a great coach. He doesn't know that I need to know how to throw strikes right now. And it was probably the, the biggest turning point in my coaching career. And it was at, you know, it was Little League Baseball. And I thought to myself, he's absolutely right. Um, you know, we have to, you know, we as coaches can't do obvious things. I see it all the time. Hey, you know, you're not supposed to throw that ball on the ground. That ball's supposed to hit him right in the hands. Really, coach? I was aiming for the ground. Thank God you stepped in and intervened. You know, so... You know, that's a very important part of coaching. And I, and, and I judge a coach based on his ability originally as a head coach. I judge a coach on his ability to get through to players and make them go. And you can see that, you know, if you're trying to teach A through Z, you can see them move along quicker from A, B, C, D, E, F, G with their guys than other coaches who aren't getting their message through and they're falling behind a good communicator. And at that point, I either got to teach this guy how, the art of coaching or I got to get rid of him because he's, his group is holding our group behind. Or I have to take over for him and, and, and do it for him. So that's a very important thing as far as leadership is concerned. You know, leadership simply to me means being the first one to do the hardest jobs, the ones that nobody wants to do. And as a head coach, there's a lot of crap you got to do as a head coach. But if you really want to be a leader, you're willing to tackle all those responsibilities. You're willing to, you know, make sure the water's out there and you have the practice field set up or you have the stadium set up. You're dealing with the booster club. You're dealing with fundraising. You're dealing with parents. You're dealing with administrators. You're going to meetings in the school. All the things that most coaches don't see what a head coach has to do. And I just gave you a small list of those things. It's a very, very big job. Well, you get the respect out of your coaches when everything's taken care of for them so they can go out and coach. And you show leadership by, by being the servant of the team, not the guy you, you do an upside down. We used to call them upside down organizational charts where you turn the thing upside down and you take the head coach from the top of the organization chart and you flip it all the way around and you put the you put yourself at the bottom to 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 work your way up through the team to make sure everything's going that way. And most a lot of coaches, mostly unsuccessful coaches, don't have the willingness to get all the hard detailed stuff that's aggravating done because it's really fun to play you know to play the game and call the game and the game day things. And it's really fun to go out on practice, out to practice and coach your position group. It's really fun to coordinate an offense or a defense. But then the next, your, your next step in, in that cycle is to be a head coach who's got a lot of work and not for much more pay uh, at the high school level for sure. So leadership to me is, hey, I'm gonna ask you to do some things, but I'm not gonna ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do and show you that I'm willing to do it. And, uh, and I'll be the first one there. You know. And I want those kids to feel like if somebody walks out on that practice field with a gun, I'm gonna be the first one to the gun. And, 
that's what leadership is all about, doing the hard jobs and making sure you're taking, taking, care, of, taking care of business. And there's just so many guys that have ego in this business, and I've been one of them. Uh, I learned it. I learned uh, the upside down organizational chart when I was in business, and I found myself as a as a chief sales and marketing officer going to branches. I had fifty eight of them going to branches, walking in the door, saying, "Let's go cold calling." That's the hardest thing a person can do in a job that's not a labor job. Going out and walking into businesses and tell people to get the hell out of your office, people telling you that. And going out as the chief sales and marketing officer and say, come on, let's go. We'll, let's go hit some buildings. Let's go hit some offices together. And really, you're going to do that with me? And absolutely. And then when you ask them to do things, they know that you're willing to do them and that you'd be the first one there if, if you can be. Uh, it's just all part of, of being a great leader. Getting things done, you know, and getting them all done. And the head coach is the one who, you know, the team name, whether it's uh, Broken Arrow like you, Rowdy, the team name uh, Broken Arrow, and this is head coach David Alexander. Well, that's who it all comes down on. And so leadership is, is a difficult thing to do. It's not just standing over somebody, carrying a title, and being able to hand out commands. You've got to motivate people and they've got to have that same sense of purpose that you have and what you're trying to accomplish so that you have everybody on the same page. And you know this, I've said this before, Walls, you know, you a perfect plan with 50% buy-in is not going to beat a plan that's 50% perfect with 100% buy-in. Buy-in and buy-in is what creates effort. And uh, most kids aren't buying in when they aren't given effort. Most players aren't buying in when, they, when they're not giving effort. You can judge uh, whether players are really in by their actions. And the last thing is take a look at your players. They are a reflection of your best work, you know, and it's all your players. It's not the, your stars. It's not your key five guys. It's that little dude over there that's trying to play football and give it everything it's got that you give a little bit of hope to. And you try to pull him up with the rest of them because you never know how big that kid's going to be or how great he's going to be. You know, all of those things uh, require a lot of leadership. And that's hard to do. You know, I go in weight rooms all the time. You know how many schools I've been in. Walls, I've been in over 500 high schools in the last yeah. 10 years, right? Yeah. You walk, you walk in a weight room and there's some little uh, group of little guys over in the corner. Nobody's paying attention to them because they're all lifting the big dogs, you know? Who needs to do that? You know, the big dogs are doing it, you know, and you're standing there with them. Yeah, that's the way to go, way to go. And the little guys are over there slapping what they shouldn't be slapping, you know. So, anyway, that's – I think those things are so important. And I think you see the great coaches. I was honored to go to uh, to uh, your ex-head coach, uh, Alan Trimble's uh, award ceremony at the American Football Coaches Association Convention. And there's a guy – who gives everybody everything he can give them. And that explains all of his state championships and his tremendous career at Jenks High School over the years. So that's what it's, that's what it's going to take. And, and I think it's the, that without it, you're, you're not going to be successful. The higher you go, the more you got to take on. And the more right. you're willing to take on. I'm glad you brought him up because, I mean, he, he was, you know, one of the greatest managers I've ever seen. You know, and, and you, you talked a little bit about being able to, to manage your coaches. You know, one of the things you've also always said was, you know, every coach makes it a point to develop his own athletes, right? I mean, most of them do. But some of them don't do a great job of maybe developing their assistant coaches. You know, the guys, the guys that are going to be doing, you know, so, some of the leading. You know, why is this so important to you as a, as a head coach? And then maybe that can lead into – you know, I know that's one of the reasons why you started Team Attack Academy. So maybe it's a twofold question. You know, why is it important to develop your coaches? And then how can Team Attack Academy help you do that? Well, you know, I've often said to you, uh, Walls, you know, that uh, everything's a paradox. You know, a butter knife can be used to spread butter on your bread, and that's a good thing. But you can stick that knife in somebody's neck and it turns into a bad thing. You know, um, you look at coaches 
and undeveloped coaches out on the field with responsibility, uh, you know, you can have a lot of coaches. That can be a good thing. The bad thing is if you've got underdeveloped coaches, you need their eyeballs. You need them coaching people up, but they, they don't have the ability to do it. You now have too many coaches that can't coach, right? You don't just get a bunch of coaches, but it really helps to have, you know, uh, you got an offensive line coach who's going guard center guard or whatever, and you got tackles and tight ends coach, and you, but they're good coaches. The more coaches you can have that know what they're doing to be able to get eyeballs on more kids, to get more reps that are, that are monitored and coached, the better the coach you're going to be, right? Yeah. So, uh, it's so important to, to have a staff that is competent in what they're doing. You know that bad reps just make you worse. You know, if you're doing reps wrong, you're getting really good at being doing it wrong. Uh, good reps mean that you're getting really good at doing things right. So having to, having to lift coaches up is the responsibility of every coach that has somebody underneath them a head coach with his coordinators and all his position coaches and his lower levels and everything else, they're all his responsibility as a, as a head coach. And you can't just put bodies in there and leave them alone. And there has to be a way to manage your time. And managing your time when you have all that responsibility uh, is one of the reasons why I built Team Attack Academy. Because I looked at it and said they're reducing the amount of time we as coaches can spend with our players at every single level of football. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. So, you know, you can hire more coaches, but they have to be good coaches, and you have to mentor them. How do you do that if you can't do it in a virtual world 24-7, 365 days a year? It's the same thing with your players. I developed Team Attack Academy to give, give coaches more access to their coaches, uh, to give them more access to their players, uh, so that you can work um, at your own speed as well, if you're a little slower player, a little slower coach, you can take it a little bit slower. But everything that you need as a coach, and I'm your head coach and I'm trying to lift you up, can be put in an environment where you can access it, including watching video, including you know, uh, teaching uh, like Rowdy, Rowdy and you do on the offensive line, You know, the zone schemes, the gap schemes, the man schemes, having video in there with explanations, with live classrooms, with with voiceovers to show exactly what's happening and then testing people on their competency on it and retesting and retesting until they get it is such a powerful mechanism for mentoring and doing your job as a head coach. And it solves a problem I have as a coach where I have coaches working for me because I don't, I don't have to have the school facility to sit down with them and stand at a whiteboard all the time especially if I can get the content inside of a site where it's already there and it's already explained and it's going to be there for every coach that comes along. Team Attack Academy is a very, very powerful tool for raising up athletes, athletes, uh, players, coaches, uh, and everyone that you, that you have to train up to, to some degree. And it does it in a very swift way. Um, it, it, it develops them faster and it de develops them better because it gives you access to them all the time. They can get in and see what you're trying to teach them at any time. And I think you guys uh, know this. You use this. You use the system. And uh, you know, a coach who sticks to his old school ways is going to get. You know, he's 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 going to get beaten uh, eventually by the coaches that are developing quicker and doing things more efficiently. So efficiencies of scale, time efficiencies, and everything that are inside the site will make everybody better. So that's why I built the site, because I wanted to get better. It's that simple. I wanted to get better, and I wanted to learn from other coaches. I've learned so much from you guys on Team Attack. I can't even tell you how much. You don't even know, because I'm in there looking at your content, taking <laughs> tests, and I'm grabbing everything I can grab to learn that I can grab. What a great way for a coach to learn, to go in there and just, to, just teach himself instead of watching Narcos on Netflix, right? So... <laughs> Uh, that's pretty much it. Moles, you're right. Now you, you touched on, you just don't get enough time with these kids when you're, when you're their coach. Um, and, and you're exactly right. And you get, it feels like, and, and by the rules, you get less and less time with these kids. And, um, you know, you hear some people say, well, where's the fun of football anymore? You're wanting to spend all this time with the kids, but 
really this is what the kids want. I mean, these kids are are um, eating this stuff up. They they want to be around football more. It's something they love. It's what they want to be around. And and for us at, at Broken Arrow with our offensive line, it just gives us uh, more opportunity to put these kids around football and put them around good football. Well, I'm going to tell you something, Rowdy, that uh, is an absolute fact. And somebody could question it all they want to. But I played a long time, and I never went to a practice I enjoyed in my entire life. I did not consider football practice fun. Now, I played in the box. (laughs) A wide receiver has a little bit more fun than a guy who's out there getting pounced on. But I looked at it, and I I enjoyed doing the work because I, I saw myself getting better. I saw the end game. Instead of short-term gratification, what we're teaching kids these days is that short-term gratification is the only route to fun. So we give them games on phones and things where they can play stupid games or do stupid things, including Snapchat, you know, their personal parts to their favorite little gal, you know. It's all about immediate gratification, and that's the only thing that's fun. So when people ask me, where's the fun in football, I'll tell you where the fun is. The fun is knowing that I can hit, I can bump up into a challenge, and I can defeat that challenge and get that reward on the other side. And I get this tremendous sense of gratification that I put all that work in to do that. And that's how life really works. The way we're teaching kids to have fun today is ridiculous. It's not fun. It's self-destructive. And it ultimately leads, leads them to being helpless individuals who can't ever get through a challenge and get a reward. And that's the most important part of being great at anything. We've lost touch with teaching kids, wait for that moment when you have that great moment. Like when I got a kickoff against the Miami Dolphins by mistake, and I caught the ball, and I took off running, and I ran all the way. I got tackled on the four-yard line, which is, you know, the bad ending to the story, but I remember the, the 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 crowd cheering as I ran down the field, you know, and my teammates all ran up to me, you know, and I was a, a bit player, and when I caught that kickoff, and it impressed the coaches a lot, and I ran down there, and all my all the players, all these great players, guys like Jim Marshall, Alan Page, Carl Eller, uh, you know, Fran Tarkington, and all these great players are jumping up in the air and grabbing, what a great play, nice job, nice job. What a tremendous moment that was for me. And I'd just gone through four weeks of camp, you know, six nah, That's We were doing eight weeks of camp back then, eight weeks of camp. And that moment, just that moment right there was like one of the best moments in my life. That's fun. That That's what it is. You know what I mean, uh, Rowdy? And so – when I talk to, to talk to people and I say, your son wants to play football, he wants to be a good football player, and there's no fun in losing. There's no fun in not defeating challenge. There's no fun in that. And I'm going to teach your son a very valuable lesson. We've got to get that message back out to these kids that, look, you want to have fun. It's the reward that lies at the back end of hard work. And this game is so tremendous when great things happen, right? Rowdy, you you were there when Walls was there at Broken Arrow and you guys went to your first state championship. Was that fun? Yeah, it was a blast, of course. How much how much work went into that, you know, for those kids? Do you think that that was one of the greatest experiences of their life? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, they'll say that to this day. Well, well, yeah, that's what this is all about. You want to have these moments in your life as you grow. Do the work. Be the best. You'll get the biggest reward. And you'll be the happiest person in the end. And you'll look back and you'll say, man, that was a blast. And you'll remember everybody you worked with like a brother. You'll build a brotherhood. You know, there is nothing more fun than that. And we, and we have to teach that, in my opinion. Now, Team Attack Academy gives, gives us a response I think working on Team Attack Academy to learn this stuff is easier than learning on a football field, don't you? Yes, I agree. And it's way more effective. So we can get them to those rewards. And that's, to me, that's, that to me is the answer to your question. 
We just have to do those kind of things. I, I love, love what you said there, Rowdy, and, and loved your answer, Moles. For, for me, I, I get tired because, you know, you hear, you hear those kids saying it. The, the kids that we operate with, they're regurgitating something someone else told them. It's usually not an original thought. So when you tell these kids, hey, you're, you're being overworked. Hey, you're tired. Hey, you know what? You need to go have a little bit more fun. That's exactly what they're going to say. Whereas if they have a leader like a Coach Harper, like a Coach Mullaney, hopefully like a Coach Walls, where they can, you know, speak that greatness into like, dude, you're not tired. You know, you can fight harder. And guess what's going to be on the other side? I think that message to those kids is so powerful. Oh, it's, and, it's paramount. And they're, and they're not getting it. And this is the only place that they're getting it. And honestly, I, I think it's, it's an attack on football. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, we live, you know, this isn't politically correct, but it's absolutely something I think you guys would agree with. We live in a mom-dominated society when I grew up in a dad-dominated society. Dads are a complete failure right now in, in our society. Not all of them, but, you know, it's a pretty large, larger group of them than it is smaller. And to be honest with you, I just don't know how anybody uh, like my mom or my wife or my sister can watch a football game and make any sense of, out of it at all because it just looks like horrible punishment all the time. And, you know, moms are scared their kids are going to get hurt. And, you know, moms are afraid that their kid's not going to play and their self-esteem's going to be destroyed. All of those things have bled into the game. And you don't hear men standing up and saying, look, this is what we do, okay? And we are different. We, we are adventurers. We are warriors. And we are, we, we are romantics. And we aren't romantics necessarily just in the part with a woman. We look at, it, we look at ESPN. We'll watch the same play seven times. Why? Because we're there. We're not. We're on that field. We are living that experience, and they're watching. My wife watches me watch something seven times. She goes, "Are you insane?" And she didn't. She doesn't. She doesn't get that. Now, I'm not saying that some women can't, but I'm saying for the most part, guys, we're dealing with boys to men here, and there, there. It's still a reality in, on this earth. It's still. It's. It's been that way forever. And we are teaching in this sport the most critical element of making that transition from child through childhood through adolescence to becoming a man so that we can be strong providers, contributors, that we can understand that reward comes down at the end of the path of hard work. And those are the most valuable lessons you can learn in life. And if we're not teaching that to our kids on a football field, then shame on us because it's the greatest sport we have in high school today that is the most challenging, where the most hardest work has to come, some physical punishment has to come to be able to get that reward. And that's, that's to me, I wouldn't even coach if, 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 if that wasn't what I was doing in my coaching career. I know one of the books that, you know, you kind of based a lot of the, the original company on was The Fighter's Mind by Sam Sheridan. Yes. And, uh, you, which, which honestly, if people have not read that book, I, I think it's, it's a must read for, for any coach, especially if you're coaching along the front. Um, but your quote, and I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit here, you'd always, another thing you would teach me is like, Walls, learn how to teach the fight first, and then you can teach everything else. And I think that was one of the things I, I, I tried to teach Rowdy, and Rowdy's done a fantastic job. Rowdy has an offensive line that fights. And it's, it's fun to watch. But that's one of my all-time favorite quotes. You know, where did you learn that? You know, maybe you could explain to, to our listeners kind of what it means for coaches, you know, especially along that front. Teach the fight first, then teach everything else. Absolutely. I mean, along that front, you know, we have greater rules than they have in a street fight, you know. Um, but I feel sorry for kids who have never been in a street fight, you know. Um, because we're in a fight up there, whether you like it or not, we're doing it within a different set of rules, but you have to physically win that battle and you have to use your hands. You know, they've taken 
the head out of the game, rightfully so. But you better have hands, and you better be have you better be able to strike. You better be able to control another human being. You better be able to throw him to the ground. You better be able to drive him to the ground. You better be able to move him. All of those require that energy that's inside when you're in a fight, and your and your actual physical health is at is at risk. And that's what drives the fight. Is you you, you know you want him to be on the ground, and you want to be standing over him uh, and win that fight. And if you don't teach that in this game, you're going to lose, period. I, I just don't think there's any way around it, Walls. You couldn't have said it better. No, it, I think it bleeds over to, to all the other positions. You know, there's, there's nothing that, that makes me more mad, you know, is when people say, you know, offense is kind of a, you know, a, a softer side. I mean, I think, you know, receivers can have that fight. You know, qu- quarterbacks, you know, the, the good quarterbacks, you always said, too, were, were football players first. And then they were quarterback second. You know, they had that fight. They had that leadership mentality. And I'm sure Coach Harper could chime in on that with maybe some of the QBs he played with. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I know, you know, played with a guy like Case Keenum. Uh, my very first uh, introduction into him was uh, they were out at seven on seven in the summer, um, obviously with no pads on. It's player led. They're throwing it. He throws a route, and uh, linebacker hits his receiver. You know, so then the very next play, he calls. Uh, I don't know. He's a lot smarter than I am. He calls whatever route he knows is going to make that linebacker turn his head, and then he throws it, hits the linebacker in the face. The very next play. I mean, uh, you know, talk about a tough guy and and someone that wouldn't be afraid to scrap with someone if he had to. And and now, obviously, really excited to see what he's doing um, on Sundays and hopefully in the playoffs. Uh, Moles, uh, earlier on you kind of talked about ego and, and how, you know, sometimes that can be a, a pretty big detriment to some coaches. In a sport like football that seems to almost breed a certain amount of ego, it seems like, the better that you get. Um, what's something that, that you would say to a coach if you, if you saw that it was something that they were struggling with was an overinflated ego? I mean, I know what I found – in the past is, is you, you know, you humble yourself or you kind of get humbled. So uh, what's something you would, you would tell them or, or work with them to try to bring that ego back into check? Well, you know, if you've got a big ego, humility's on its way. Um, regardless who you are, I think it's a law of the planet that good Lord has put here. You're not going to be able to avoid humility. If you avoid it so hard, it'll turn into humiliation, which is the most painful form form of humility. Um, it's also one of the hardest things to tell somebody you notice. Uh, I talked to Walls about this, but it's like that scene in Young Frankenstein when Igor has that big hump on his back, and he says, you must be Dr. Frankenstein. He picks him up at the train station, and he goes, it's Frankenstein. And he says, you must be Igor. And he says, no, it's Igor. You know, one of those deals. And he says, you know, with the advances of modern medicine, Igor, we, I could really help you with that hump. And Igor says, or Igor says, whatever it was, what hump? Um, because, he's, you know, we, we diagnosing ego for somebody else it's almost impossible. And um, if they don't have a general sense of humility when you hire them, you made a mistake. Because ego is the only thing that has to be self-detected. Um, it has, you have to feel it coming. You, know, you have to feel your ego growing and you feel that pain inside of getting away from t- taking a humble stance. And... Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, get, I get around some coaches that are like, you know, I'm way more humble than you are, you know. <laughs> like, well, you just blew that. Um, you know, it's, it, there's so much – there's coaching ego and training ego um, sometimes has to be punished with something that's severe enough to be humility or even humiliation. Um, sometimes, Rowdy, because – Telling somebody, you know, you're really thinking a lot of yourself right now, you know, 
usually the big FY comes out, you know, and it's like, who do you think you are? You know, what are you better than me? You know, and it's really hard to co it's really hard to train ego with any other thing than, you know, telling the coach, Hey, look, you know, you're going to handle the, uh, you're going to handle the water this week, make sure it's out on the field and we're going to have somebody take over your position group. What? And then, then, you know, you they have two choices, anger or humility. Um, sometimes you have to bring it down that way. And most of the time you do because ego is very, very difficult to coach. In my opinion, uh, with a player with ego, it's very difficult. You have to bench him, you know, it could be the best player on the team, but they have to be humbled, you know, to serve and to play this sport for the right reason, not for their stats and their touchdowns and their nice uniform and stare at the mirror for 20 minutes before they walk on the field, just to see how good they look in their uniform. There has to be a bigger purpose uh, for them, and a coach has to deliver that. And I see too many coaches letting players get away with it. They just keep feeding it. And I just say to myself, something's coming for this, this guy. You know what that guy said to Baker Mayfield at the end, of the end of the game? Humble yourself. You know, what a great thing to say to Baker Mayfield because I thought he lost that game just on ego alone. If you watch the first half of that game and you look at his face and his body actions, it's all about how what a study is. Then you look in the second half when they're sacking him and pounding him, he looked like he'd seen a ghost. And it was like, this isn't me. I don't do this. I, I don't not move the ball down the field. I, I'm a Heisman Trophy winner. I, this isn't me. You could almost read it in his actions, and he couldn't get going. So, you know, I think that uh, – you know, Nick Saban in the national championship game. What a what a what a bold move, right? Uh, to take Jalen Hurts and put him on the sideline, put that young kid on the on the field. And it was a humbling moment for everybody. And you know, everybody out there felt sorry for Jalen Hurts and they're like, Oh, he's gonna leave Alabama. He's you know, I would be so pissed if I was him. You know, and that's what most people do when they get humbled. So, you know. It, that's the toughest thing to coach there is. I think you've seen that. Maybe you guys have a better idea about that than I do, but it's really, it's really a struggle when you're trying to pull somebody out of uh, really digging their own chili. Moles, you just got back from the uh, AFCA. How many of those have you been to now? I forget you told me on the phone. 20, like, 20, 24. 24 of them. So obviously you've been there a lot. I like to kind of get your – you know, you're reading on the, the pulse as you, as you go there. You know, what, what, what are some things, you know, maybe you saw this year or, or things that, that have changed in kind of the last 10 to 15 years? You know, what are some things that maybe are, are concerning with the game of football or, or maybe it's just concerning with the coaching profession, you know, uh, at large? Well, one, one of the things that concerns me a lot about football itself and coaching is that a lot of young coaches come in without an understanding of where we came from. Um, and, and the kind of guys that helped build this sport when they were making $1,200 a game, you know, <clears throat> those guys played the sport because they loved the sport. They didn't get wealthy, um, back, back in, in, in the days that I played, very few of them were wealthy guys. They were just happy to be paying for a house they could live in. And they had a lot of respect for the game. The, the younger coaches seem to come in and say, I'm looking for an offensive coordinator job at a Power 5 school. And you go, what? Uh, are you serious? Yeah, I'm, I'm dead serious. You know, and I'm not taking that job. Like there's a job that's beneath them, and they're very young in the sport. I see a lot of that that's, that disturbs me a little bit because there's very little hum humility in that. Uh, the second thing is, you know, some people consider me a pariah of the game because I train co uh, kids and mentor kids in every facet of the game by every position, studying it. And there are kids that I spend a great deal of my personal time. I spent two hours with 26 players from five different teams tonight. And the other coaches are going, that guy's an egomaniac. He thinks he knows more than we do, you know. And I, I don't know if I know more than they do. I just know I have the time to put into them personally and get them developed, and I'm willing to do that. And I don't do it for much money. And 
the the thing that that has always been uh, that's bothered me at the convention is how uh, coaches immediately put themselves above the person they're talking to unless it's an obvious choice, like they're standing in front of Dabo Sweeney, and then they go from a superiority complex to an inferiority complex. And I just I just think that uh, the convention, this convention was one of the best I've been to. It was incredibly informative. I think they went out of their way because they had the lowest attendance that I had seen in all 24, in the 23 previous. The, the, the last one was the least attended convention I'd ever been to, and I thought it was dying. And this convention was the most attended convention in the history of the AFCA. And I think it was because they went out of their way to make sure that there was quality coaches teaching quality things. There were more informative breakouts. I sat in the main ballroom one day for six hours just listening to these, these, these tremendous, uh, this tremendous amount of information that was being shared. And I think that they're, they're in that mentorship mode. A lot of coaches are starting to worry about the game, and they're starting to worry about the coaching of the game. They're starting to worry about the rules of the game. They're starting to take it more serious and looking at it. And uh, I think everybody there that I talked to was about saving the game, you know, and making sure that this game continues with its important role in young lives with, with boys. So I was pretty encouraged uh, at this convention. Walls, it was one of the better ones I've been to in a long, long time. And I didn't run into a lot of the same consternation that I've had in the past. Um, and, you know, you know that I've talked before that, you know, in some of these conventions, everybody, everybody should have a T-shirt on that on the front it says F-U. <laughs> on the back it says, I'm the smartest guy here, you know. Uh, and it's amazing how much guys try to be, you know, better than everybody else. And they kind of walk like that horse that has its mane up and its tail high and it's trotting through. You, 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 see, you see a lot of that that goes on. But that's kind of the male, male ego anyway. That's kind of the way it works. But, you know, I've enjoyed every single one I've gone to. I've gotten, a, you know, a fountain of information at, at every one of them. Um, I hear something new every time I go. It's like picking up the Bible and uh, reading a chapter and going, that's me, you know. Uh, you know, you find something new in, in wisdom. And, uh, and I don't think I'm the wisest guy in the room. The only thing that I think sometimes makes me show a little bit more wisdom than others is that I'm still, I'm still trying to drink, drink from the straw so I can get more out of the game and get more out of these coaches that know more, more than I do. And that's come with age, you know, it's, it's just come with being able to be there and, and do those things. And if you go there with that purpose, I mean, you know this as well as I do. Rowdy, you've been to these – have you been to this convention before? No, I haven't been to this one. You've been to just about as many as I've been alive, so haven't been to any of these. <laughs> yes. So, you know, um, for a lot of guys, it's just a drunk fest. I mean, they're just there to get drunk. I mean, they do nothing else but drink. <laughs> you know, I wonder why they come. You know, I'm very fortunate in that I don't drink and that I'm there for the, for the right purpose. But I think it's always good if you go in with the mentality of trying to get something out of it and then search for it. And uh, I think that's one of the best events of the year, and that's why I go every year, because I always pull something out of it. Moles, you mentioned, uh, and I've noticed it as well, that there's a lot of coaches that don't think very highly of, of personal trainers for, for their players. Um, which to me sometimes goes back to well, a lot of the times, you know, a little bit of ego from that coach. Um, I saw it the other day, a coach said, well, you know, I just don't really like trainers because, you know, they spend an hour, hour a week with these kids. And then when the kid's successful, then they're going to be the ones saying they made the kid successful, which to me, who cares who, who made the kid successful, the kids a success. That should be exciting enough for the coach. But, um, what are some of the reasons that, that you found or, or that you noticed that some of these coaches don't think very highly of these, these trainers that are just want the best for the kid as well? Well, Roddy, most of what I do, I do stealth. So the coach doesn't know. I tell the kids don't tell the coach um, because it's that bad. But 
the worst form of ego, in my opinion, is insecurity. And that's, yes. an insecure, that's an insecure human being. First of all, you know, the kid's trying to do more. You know, he does everything at the school. None of my guys miss anything at their school, ever. Everything we do is to complement and give more to what the school is doing. I just know that as a head football coach and a high school f- coach, I coached high school football again this year. Been doing it for a long time. Been doing it since 1978. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I was very frustrated with was having 60 kids in a weight room with three guys to watch it, or sometimes just me. And I'm running around, and these 60 guys are all working out. And I don't, you know, I can't track all that. So I build a form, and they fill it out. I don't even know if the information on the form's correct. You know, I try all these different ways of doing things. To have personal attention from a guy who knows what he's doing, a coach should be spending more time trying to find that guy for his players that can spend personal time, especially on his underdeveloped players, find that guy that can, that those kids that want more and find a place to take them to get more and make sure you find the right people to do that. There's a lot of posers out there doing this stuff, you know? Uh, But, you know, I've, I've, I've taken the time and, you know, walls, I kind of learned this from walls, you know, he took me on my first visit to, uh, UNLV to see uh, Mike Sanford and the spread offense that Urban Meyer had just come down from Utah and to be the head coach of UNLV. That was my first trip ever. Since that time, I've been on over 200 college campuses doing the same thing, just going to learn what these guys teach, what are the, how, you know, I go in the strength and conditioning room. I'm always fascinated with the college coaches because they really don't have a lot to do with that, that they have a guy they trust completely in the weight room the coaches have nothing to do with that strength and conditioning stuff they just turn them over to this guy that's an expert and he spends all that time with personal development of every single player on that on that football field so that they will defeat the guy in front of them and the coaches have a hundred percent trust in handing their players over to that guy that's the same thing that high school coaches should be doing and they know they can't do in their high schools They'd rather do it in these gigantic groups. How are you going to get to the little guys? You know, how are you going to get to all the guys? You know, are you just going to focus on the varsity guys? Because guess what? We got a season coming up, and we need these guys because our jobs rely on this varsity season being successful. So you you, uh, rightfully so or instinctively so, you go at the guys you need the most. You know, that's that's just not the right way to do it, Rowdy. The best way to do it is to make sure that every single kid is getting the most out of what he wants as a player and an athlete. And I just don't believe there's a high school that exists that gets it all done. I, I just, I have not seen it. I don't believe it. I've been on over 500 high school campuses. I've seen a lot of teams that do it a lot better than other teams. I've seen some that are pathetic all the way to, to being good at it. But the fact of the matter is, is that more work on, on learning more things uh, is going to help a player, and you should be encouraging that. And I think it's just all insecurity uh, that has these coaches doing it. I've never hurt a kid ever. You know, uh, honestly, I don't know one kid that hasn't developed farther as a result of going out and getting more. And uh, I don't understand why coaches don't encourage that. And it's just, it, you know, they say, well, we want the team bonding. Well, go have a freaking pizza. You know, you know, you, you, those kids aren't all bonding in that weight room. They're just not. Some of them are, but are all of them? Is every kid in your program, freshman to senior, bonding together in these weight training sessions that last an hour and 15 minutes that I think are critical? I think the schools have to do those things. But I just don't see that they're that they're ever going to get the best out of these kids that want more. I just I won't believe it. Nobody's ever going to convince me of it because I couldn't do it, and I tried really hard to do it. Oh, as a head coach, 
So that's that's my stance on that. That's going to do it for this episode of the RTP Podcast. I want to give another huge thank you to our sponsor, Team Attack Academy. Go check them out at their website, which you can Google or see in the show notes. Help us out by rating our podcast in the Apple Podcast app or on the Google Play app. If you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt free of shipping at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the Write a Review section of the podcast app. Review the podcast really quick for us, then leave your question or topic. This will help our podcast rating as well as allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Talk to you guys soon.